0: People are going to say, oh, you're Bitcoin mining. I say the strategy here is an energy strategy. We basically just shortcut it to the end of where we think this is all going to end up, which is the energy sector is the one that's going to dominate this activity. Let's just go help them.
1: This is Energy Cast. And I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we're talking about using crypto mining as a solution to soak up unused energy. You've heard us talk about this several times now. Renewable energy has the potential to produce too much power at times. And that leaves many producers with no option but to dump it or sell it for a loss. Storage has been one big solution for this, transmission is another. My guest believes they could use this energy for a purpose that can make them money. His solution is to approach utilities or power producers about building servers for mining cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. I've had on guests like Soluna Computing in episode 136 who have discussed this solution before. But my guest today wants the power producers themselves to own the blockchain mining assets. And that is a radical idea for a few reasons. First, utilities sell power. They don't mine Bitcoin for a living. My guest is essentially asking one of the most conservative and careful industries to engage in a business that many folks still view as speculative at best. Bitcoin prices fluctuate and the currency is by design unmanageable by any single entity. Also, these utilities are usually overseen by some state-level regulatory agency. How are they going to sign off on a business plan very few understand? We also discussed the prospect that the price of cryptocurrency and the price of energy have no overlapping market drivers. What if, at the same time, the price of crypto went sky high and the energy demand was also high? Would power producers be incentivized to make more power available to customers or mine Bitcoin at a premium? My guest says he understands all these concerns and believes while this might might not be the easiest sell in the world to a lot of his customers, it's worth the wait. As he's seen, this crypto compliment is starting to be an easier sell to power producers. My guest today is Andrew Weber, co-founder and CEO of Digital Power Optimization, a cryptocurrency mining as a service company. DPO is based in New York and was founded in 2020. They claim to have created the CMAAS concept. I was drawn to this company because I just had to know how they were convincing power producers, especially utilities, to sign on to such an unfamiliar business that they would own. We also talk about the ethical questions crypto mining raises. I've had to experience with crypto mining back at Duke energy where a texas-based crypto mining company wanted to build a facility there that was tens of megawatts is it right to spend so much power on a currency that has alternatives like cold hard cash to hear andrew tell it we use massive amounts of energy on a lot of silly things these days like cat videos and podcasts (laughs) i hope you enjoy my conversation with andrew weber We're here with Andrew Webber, co-founder and CEO of Digital Power Optimization, or DPO. And Andrew, I'm a big fan of using up unused energy. Is that what DPO is ultimately doing for their customers? In short,
0: Yes. Power that is undervalued, underutilized, stranded, or that might not have been produced in the first place because of curtailment, where there's more power available than is really demanded by the market. And so that drives prices lower and it ends up pushing some people out where they turn the asset off. And so we've taken the view here that you've permitted this asset, you've financed this asset, you've constructed this asset, and now you're not running it in max capacity. Why? That makes very little sense to me other than you realize that there's a lot of challenges in trying to make use of all of this power that is or is not available at any given time. And that's where we come in, is the idea to try to use that power in a profitable and viable way with a tool that otherwise hasn't been available to people.
1: I'm always interested, you know, this is more of a utility issue and you're coming in with a very tech-focused solution. So <laughs> I'm kind of wondering what came first, this need with the stranded energy or we have blockchain mining, how do we apply it?
0: Yeah, it's actually a friend of mine, a guy that I knew back in 2019 had approached me about the idea of using flare gas at remote oil wells to power Bitcoin mining operations. And I said, I honestly don't know that much about either, but let me do some work. And so I dig in and did a few months of work and try to understand what links those two dynamics together and why Bitcoin mining would be an effective tool to go out and use this flare gas at the wellhead. And the problem with that model is that the generation size, one 1.5 megawatts out at a remote oil well is just not the most efficient way of producing power. Sure, you're using this wasted gas and that's great, but in terms of overall cost, it's still not obscenely cheap, I'll put it that way. Meanwhile, I was reading this LA Times article, I think it was from like 2017 or something, and it was talking about how the state of California or the utilities in California were having to pay the state of Arizona to take its excess power, like $20 per megawatt, to get rid of all of this excess. And I said, that's crazy, what's going on here? Here I am dragging these gensets around the middle of nowhere to try to produce power, and it seems these guys have too much. So why don't I just go help them make use of what they already have? And that was the foundation of DPA where we basically said this Bitcoin mining stuff seems to be a pretty interesting tool to help the energy sector and they don't really know about it yet. And so that's our model is to go out and try to help these entities that have more power than they know what to do with.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Two things that I talk about a lot where it's almost become a drinking game are curtailments in California. And whenever we talk about natural gas, I talk about how annoyed I am with the flaring. I worked in the fracking sector. Also, (laughs) flaring to power Bitcoin mining is probably the most steampunk idea I've heard in a long time.
0: (laughs) That's great. You know, there there are people doing it and it does work today. It's just I think over the next sort of 10 year horizon, when you look at how the this all likely plays out, it's hard for a 1.5 megawatt genset to compete with a 500 megawatt NAT gas plant, or a 400 megawatt wind farm, or an equivalently sized solar project. All of those have a much lower marginal cost of production. And therefore, we have the view that a lot of this activity is going to migrate to sites more like those rather than the flared gas sites. But today, there's people doing it, and it, it absolutely works. It just may not work indefinitely.
1: One of the things we were talking about before we started recording was this idea of Bitcoin mining, and everyone just kind of nods her head always and goes, Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what that is. I'll put it out there. I've had little experience with Bitcoin mining. I've worked for a utility that was citing Bitcoin mining operations, but they would just be a commercial client. Let's start with what Bitcoin mining is a little bit. First of all, they use a lot of electricity, right? I think I'd heard that they use graphics cards. (laughs)
0: That's right. So they started off with graphics cards at your home computer. You know, that was generally the strongest type of computing function that most average people had access to. And it worked well. Bitcoin mining is really just a bunch of computers that are running to secure this global network. And it's not really mining. I think that word has been used frequently, but it's kind of a misnomer. It conjures up the image of digging gold or coal up out of the ground. And this is very, very far from that. It's a large bank of computers. One computer, 10 computers, 10,000 computers, whatever size you want to grow to. And these things run pretty much continuously, and they secure this global blockchain network. Bitcoin was created in 2009 out of the ashes of the global financial crisis. And I think it really started getting to the public psyche around 2017, when it really had the big run up to just just around $20,000. And I think that's when the media really picked it up and started to pay attention to what was going on. The tweets from Elon Musk talking about accepting Bitcoin to pay for a Tesla. And then a few months later, he reversed himself and said, wait a minute, I don't know if I like this. It uses a bunch of energy. And so there's a strong debate going on about is this good or bad for the environment or for the energy sector? or for the world, but I think generally just understanding what it is is the first step. And so this global network Bitcoin, blockchain, if you will, allows for the storage and transmission of data effectively. It's a record-keeping mechanism. It's a distributed ledger that keeps track of data. And in this case, for Bitcoin, the data that it's keeping track of is similar to the data that's in your bank account, right? Most of people's money is not held in physical cash in their wallet. It's held as ones and zeros in a central Centralized leisure that your bank and the Federal Reserve system effectively control this is similar to that but it's decentralized meaning you can send value send information which in this case is value from one person to another across the globe with no intermediary and so that's the powerful thing about Bitcoin and what blockchain actually is and I'll also give you just a little insight as to well, you know why is it called blockchain it's a chain of blocks that are created every 10 minutes every 10 minutes there's a certain 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 amount of data that gets processed and locked into this chain of blocks that have come before it and will come after it. And all of those transactions is kept as a record that's visible to anyone that wants to access that data. It's anonymized, mostly, but you can still see this transaction went from user 12378 over to this other user XYZ. It's basically this record keeping mechanism that's totally decentralized and the miners, the Bitcoin miners of the world, are the ones that maintain and secure that network so that it can't be corrupted by people acting maliciously.
1: These operations are expensive. I know because, okay, one, I had to ask special permission from the boss, Mrs. D, to get a computer with a nice graphics card. <laughs> right. So I know rows and rows of that has got to be expensive. Also, I know that client that was going to do Bitcoin mining in North Carolina was going to use tens of megawatts of energy. So a lot of capital, a lot of expense once you're going. How do these miners make money? <laughs> Like, I know they're calling the record, as you will, but how do they get paid?
0: That's a very good question. So, like you said, these computers cost a lot of money. The graphics cards of the earlier period were sufficiently adequate to make them cost-effective. You know, people had them in their home computers for video games, and you could basically run this software through your graphics card. And it would be the one processing these transactions, a very computing-intense function. And therefore, they worked well. Over time, people developed specialized computers that did one thing and one thing only, which is mine Bitcoin. They can't be used to run Windows. They can't be used to do other stuff. They simply have this single purpose, and it's called an ASIC, Application-Specific integrated circuit. It's another name for a computer that does only one thing. And so they design these computers and they get better and better over the last several years, more efficient, more powerful, better computing production. Now, instead of using graphics cards, the vast, vast majority of miners out there are using these specialized computers. Intel started to make some chips not too long ago. I don't know if they're going to continue that business, but... There's a handful of companies around the world that make these specialized computers and they are quite expensive and the price of those computers varies with the profitability of operating them. So it's a little unlike a drill head for an oil well, for example, which is based on the cost of building that drill head. There's plenty of people that can build it and so they're kind of commoditized and they're not going to vary in price that much. With the price of oil moving around, the price of the computers for Bitcoin mining does move around relative to the profitability, because basically those people operating them earn a certain amount of money. And if that value goes up, that cash flow stream goes up, the more you're willing to pay to buy the computer in the first place. It's not really driven by the cost of production today. It's kind of driven by how much the marginal buyer is willing to pay to get access to them. You asked about how you make money. So every 10 minutes, these blocks are created and written into this global digital ledger. And as a reward for the miners operating their computers, again, a huge upfront CapEx check to acquire all this stuff. You gotta set it up, you gotta build it, you gotta turn it on, you gotta pay people to help operate it. You've got internet expense, you've got insurance expense, all of these costs. And the way you get paid is a reward from the software itself. So there's no one paying you with some, you know, contracted cash flow stream. It's that the rewards are distributed automatically based on a mathematical function that can't be changed. And at the end of the day, your computers have produced a certain amount of Bitcoin. So not only is Bitcoin the transaction mechanism that allows you to send value around the world, it's also the automated mechanism through which these Bitcoin miners, if you want to call them that, are paid. You can sell that Bitcoin into this global, liquid, 24-hour-a-day market, and now you've got US dollars or euros or yen, and you put it right back in your Chase or Bank of Air account, and you're back in a familiar local currency. Some of these guys hold their Bitcoin because they believe it's going to go up. They're banking on this longer term upside from holding it. They just sell enough to cover their daily operating costs and hold on to the rest, hoping that it goes up in value and they make even more money. We recommend to most of our clients to just sell it every day. And it's not that you're banking on Bitcoin going up. It's that you arbitrage the value of your energy throughout the day using these computers in the similar way, not identical, but a similar way that a battery shifts the time of day at which you've sell your power so you charge up your battery when the power prices are very low in the grid and then you discharge your battery and sell that power into the grid when power prices are relatively high and you arbitrage that time between the cheap hours of the day And the expensive hours of the day. Bitcoin mining just does it constantly throughout the day. And I will say, you know, the interesting thing here for the power sector is you can turn these on and off. So there's no obligation for you to keep running around the clock like a traditional data center. You know, a traditional data center, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, what have you, they are generally built to operate 24 7, zero downtime, full redundancy. They never want to be offline because Then you can't go shopping on Amazon or you can't watch Netflix or you can't do all this stuff that your customers and consumers want to do. With Bitcoin mining and frankly, other types of flexible computing, which is growing rapidly by the day, you think AI computing or certain block computing, zero-knowledge proofs, a bunch of different interesting stuff is cropping up that I don't think we necessarily predicted three years ago, but it's becoming more and more obvious that Bitcoin mining isn't necessarily the only game in town to arbitrage energy in this way. And again, the ability to turn these on and off means that you can ramp up your power consumption or ramp down your power consumption on demand to match a variable generation asset, which is why this is so interesting to take it out to a wind site or a hydro site or what have you and use it only when you've got adequate power or when that power is truly cheap enough. If there's a weather event in Texas right? And grid prices spike to $3,000 per megawatt hour, all the Bitcoin miners in that market turn off because it's foolish to try to mine Bitcoin with power that expensive. And instead, that power just gets sent into the grid so it can alleviate that strain. You know, instead of using it for Bitcoin mining, it goes to a hospital or a middle school or a residence. That flexibility of this load is something that is almost it's magic to the energy sector. Once they really understand it, they basically say, wait a minute, you're telling me I can put this load behind the meter?" on my wind asset or on my hydro asset, and I can run it whenever I want, and I don't have to run it if I don't want to. And anytime I can make more money by doing this, I do this. And anytime I make more money by selling it into the grid, I sell it into the grid. It's a really magical tool that works, you know, similarly to batteries, similarly to behind the meter green hydrogen production and other options. It's sort of one more tool in the toolbox for an energy company to kind of figure out how to best optimize their own operations.
1: Yeah, one of the things you brought up was this idea that, look, I mean, renewable energy is intermittent. Prices fluctuate, so you don't want always on. And I had a guest on Saluna Computing. One of the things we discussed was this idea of you don't want something like this to run Netflix, right, where it needs to always be on, or data centers or something. I think he called it batchable computing functions. And, you know, we're all friends here. I don't want you to disparage them or anything, but for anyone who wants to listen, it was Episode 136, Saluna Computing. Just kind of explain the difference between what their business model is and maybe what yours is, right? Sure.
0: Sure. So, yeah, Saluna is one of the groups out there. There's a number of publicly traded Bitcoin miners, a bunch of private Bitcoin miners. And what they typically do, the primary model in this space is these guys raise equity. They buy a bunch of these computers and then they go to the power sector, the energy sector and say, sell us your power for as cheap as we can get it from you. Right. I'd like to buy your product. I'd like to pay you as little as possible, please. And they create a counterparty relationship where they're basically pushing each other around for the same economic pie. They're fighting over the same profits, more or less. The power company wants to sell the power for more, and the Bitcoin miner wants to pay less. We take a slightly different approach to that, which is we try to be a bit more of an ally to the energy sector, where we say, why are you selling your power to these guys? And they say, what do you mean? I'm an energy company. That's what I do. I sell power. I say, sure, but you could just build this stuff yourself, right? There's no license. There's no special sort of operational technology that you need to know how to use. It's running a bunch of computers. It's pretty not straightforward, but it's not landing a person on Mars. You know what I mean? So we kind of go to these groups and say, if you own it, you then have all of the economic upside, but you also have the operating flexibility in deciding when and how these assets operate in a coordinated fashion. The generation asset and the data center. By owning both, by operating both, the optionality stays with the power company. And they get all of this economic upside. They get all of this operating flexibility rather than just selling it to some third party. I'd also make the point that these power companies are generally better capitalized than most of the Bitcoin mining sector out there. So their cost of capital is lower. And that means that they can actually build the stuff cheaper than many of these other Bitcoin miners. We believe that over the next, say, 10 years, more and more of this activity is going to be done directly by the energy sector, right? These large private equity funds that own huge portfolios of generation assets, public utilities that have large portfolios of generation assets, some of them may be curtailed, maybe they don't have enough transmission in their systems, they want to build more, but you're getting reduced marginal benefit from building more of the same type of asset in the same location without, if you don't build the transmission to go with it. And so this is a tool that can go to these sites where the energy companies have the headache and solve that headache for them. So DPO's role in that is to be their ally, be their assistant, be their advisor, consultant, and then actually build out the site and operate it for them. So we try to create this white glove service where they get to keep being an energy company and we handle all of this data center activity. We work for them, we take a fee, but all of the upside accrues to our clients and customers. We basically just shortcut it to the end of where we think this is all going to end up, which is to say the energy sector is the one that's going to dominate this activity over the next 10 years. Let's just go help them. And that's effectively what we do.
1: <laughs> Getting into more of the challenging questions here. And you did talk about your competitors. So I'll just kind of play devil's advocate here. Utilities don't by definition do Bitcoin mining. That's not their business. So is it difficult to convince a utility, for instance, to get into something that's not really their industry, right? As a owner.
0: It's extremely difficult. We've picked a pretty tough business for ourselves, but the opportunity is so great that we don't mind. And we're patient, we're transparent. A lot of Bitcoin miners had tried, I think, for a very long time to keep the energy sector largely in the dark about what was going on here. And they didn't really want the power companies to know how this all works. We have taken the opposite approach of being incredibly transparent. We teach them everything they want to know. We let them ask all the questions of us they can possibly ask. We run very complex models for them to show them how this should work, how they might think about it within their portfolio. Be patient, be transparent, and eventually I'll get there. A lot of them do. It does take time. Some groups we've been talking to since 2020, and they still haven't quite gotten there yet. They're interested, they're poking around at it, they're thinking about it, but You know, their core businesses are are busy and they've got a lot on their mind. And so we say, look, we'll be here. We'll keep helping. You know, let us know when you're ready to go. Others have moved quicker and they are building stuff today and we're helping them with that. It's a very challenging task, but the approach is one where I think we've figured out that the best way to do it is just to lay all the cards on the table and say, look, on one end of the spectrum, you can just ignore this completely. The other end of that spectrum is for them to fully vertically integrate this exactly as we're suggesting, and literally do it on their own. They don't even hire DPO. There's a whole spectrum of options between those two. You could form a JV with a Bitcoin miner and sort of partner up partially. You could build your own infrastructure component of this, which is build out the site, build the transformers, buy the containers to house these computers, get the internet set up, get everything you need to host the computers, but don't actually buy your own computers. You can have third-party owners come in and effectively rent your space and rent the access to your power, and you get paid that way. It's a little safer, a little less volatile that way, but you don't have quite as much upside. And then there's options like what we're suggesting, which is to say, do this, spend your own money, let us help you, and we'll start small and we'll grow it over time in a patient and methodical way.
1: Andrew, look, I've worked at three utilities, and I can tell you these were all – Yeah, they were all regulated, which means they had to answer to state legislators, (laughs) what they call rate cases. The process was, I think I'm using this word right, Byzantine. And this idea of now a utility is going to get into cryptocurrency, essentially, I imagine would be a tough sell. And so I just got to know how you're able to navigate that.
0: No, it's absolutely true. And we think about this as energy management infrastructure. A lot of people are going to say, oh, you're Bitcoin mining. I say, well, you can call it Bitcoin mining if you want. But the strategy here is an energy strategy, not a Bitcoin mining strategy, not a data center strategy. This, the data center is there to support the generation asset. You know, These guys will build batteries. They will build green hydrogen production. They haven't yet thought about flexible computing loads. I think it's just a matter of education and comfort and getting them slowly up to speed on what this means how it works, how it can benefit them, and get them to understand why they should care. I would say 98% of the times I'm talking to an energy company for the first time – they're extraordinarily interested. They're fascinated by it. They've heard a little bit about it. They've seen this stuff on the news. They don't really get what's going on, but they almost universally say, wow, that's interesting. That's clever. I don't know if we're ever going to get there, but I'll run it up the chain. And also make the point that utilities are a key customer of ours. They're not the only customer. They're not the only client. We have, like I said, private equity funds that just own generation assets, right? They're not regulated utilities. They got a lot of money. They got a lot of power. And we say, why don't you make better use of this stuff? You know, you can just go do this right now. There's no rate case. You just go build this stuff on your own assets. They're a lot more flexible and quicker moving, I think, with a profit motive than a regulated utility might be today. Furthermore, you've got renewable developers. All of these guys running around building wind, building solar, these battery projects, all of these are situations in which building a Bitcoin mine, building a flexible data center of some type may help what they're already doing as their core business. We might say... Build 10 or 20 or 30 megawatts of Bitcoin mining on this 300 megawatt wind asset, and it'll soak up some of the power. If you build it to a certain size, you can get away with just running purely behind the meter, purely on wind, no grid interconnection whatsoever, and just make use of this otherwise stranded power.
1: Yeah, I think the idea here is that unlike the other third-party companies that are doing this where, you know, the utility is selling their electricity, these guys are basically – they own the asset, so they're not making money on the electricity. What they're making money on is any of the crypto, I guess, that's mined, right? That's right. They
0: basically build their own Bitcoin mine. So in the same revenue stream that some third-party Bitcoin miner was going to get, the power company gets instead. It's an energy company and DPO. And we yeah. build the site for them and that they get paid automatically through that network every single day. And when you divide the number of megawatt hours into that dollar figure, you end up with something like 70 to $150 top line revenue yeah. from that power.
1: You mentioned that, you know, they can hold on to it or they can sell it immediately. I'm imagining, again, I'm just wondering, you know, the exposure that a public company and also the scrutiny, right, of owning a yeah. lot of Bitcoin. I'd imagine they immediately cash out.
0: Most of them do. I think that's by and large the strategy that we've pursued, which is to say, don't think of this as a Bitcoin line. Think of it as an energy management asset that arbitrages yeah. power into more dollars than you would have gotten otherwise. The flip side of that is, I think a lot of people get scared by the accounting or the PR perception of an energy company doing this. And that is a different sort of learning process for them where we show them how the accounting works. We show them the accounting rules, how that treatment works. And it's actually a lot simpler than you would think. In the same way that ford motor company right they build cars and they sell the car at the end of the day the car isn't what you pay tax you pay tax on the revenue and a lot of this is getting clarified by the day there's more and more clarity from regulators on how to account for these things how to hold it how to custody this stuff in an appropriate way so it's it's a definitely a, an industry in a process that's uh undergoing an evolution where it's changing for the better. And it's getting easier and easier for energy companies to do this where they don't feel it's quite so unfamiliar and quite so strange.
1: Yeah. Andrew, I've talked to a lot of storage companies about this idea of arbitrage. Right. And I think that a lot of these storage companies have been told pretty explicitly do not store during times of scarcity because it'll just jack the prices up. Right. And the same thing might go for the Bitcoin mining. Say Bitcoin just goes up enormously where, you know, there's a, huge profit incentive to instead of put energy out on the grid to gobble up as much bitcoin because crypto is on a run right there's got to be regulatory incentives in place that prevent that right where crypto was on a run but energy prices are super high what's to keep the people who are generating energy from gobbling up all the crypto as opposed to supplying reliable cheap energy on the grid right does that make sense
0: no it absolutely does and again i think that's part of the debate here is why should we direct power to this use case instead of letting it flow out to consumers? I understand that argument perfectly, but the reality is, is that through the vast majority of the times throughout the day, throughout the year, you have more power than you really need. And that's kind of the opportunity here, which is to say there's already generation more than adequate to cover what society needs for most hours of the year. Sure, there are hours when there's going to be a shortfall because there's a winter storm or there's not enough power to go around. Well, the Bitcoin mine gets turned off in those cases because the grid prices exceed what you can make by mining Bitcoin and therefore you turn the Bitcoin mine off and now that power does, in fact, flow out to the grid. So you're never really depriving society of power when it's most needed. It's always going to be available for the things that society really wants. In those times when it's most critical that it's available. So again, that intermittency, the ability to, to turn it on and off is critical to making sure that you're never really causing that much havoc amongst the power grids. Now, you asked about what if Bitcoin goes to, you know, $3 million, I don't know, something crazy. And the mining economics widen so much that now it's profitable to operate even when grid prices are 500 bucks or $600. bucks. you are almost never going to turn off. You're just going to keep running these 24-7. That's a different case, but what that also implies then is incentivizes more generation assets to be built. Part of the problem with the energy transition is the idea that you just keep building more wind assets. You just keep building more solar assets sort of, but you need the transmission to go along with it. You need long duration storage. And so this, again, I think is a tool that can go into places that others can't, and therefore you're actually alleviating problems within the grid, not really causing more. It will be a balance where regulators are going to have to get their arms around this. and They're going to have to communicate pretty clearly with the energy sector about how this should be done and when you might limit the ability to do this. But the reality is around the globe, someone is going to build this stuff and they're going to take advantage of this arbitrage opportunity. For now, the times when you need power the most, Bitcoin mining isn't going to be soaking it up.
1: It's going to be turned off. Yeah, I think that's what people kind of want to be reassured about, right? That it's not going to be greedy crypto capitalists, right? right. <laughs> Just, right. You know, causing <laughs> scarcity.
0: The flip side of that, I guess, is, you know, the Yankees play baseball at night. We're using power for that. Should we ban that because it's wasteful? Who gets to decide what's wasteful? You have a bunch of energy, oil, et cetera, being produced to mine gold. What if the price of gold goes to $10,000? Will we make gold miners stop mining gold because it's using too much energy? No, I think there'd be a lot more of it. The isolation of saying this use case is problematic. Well, what about Instagram servers or Netflix videos? All of these things consume huge amounts of energy as well, but... Nobody complains about that. And so I think the, quote unquote, greedy capitalist Bitcoin miners are really not that different than any other industry out there. It's just that this one's gotten a lot of visibility. And I think a lot of politicians and regulators are not thinking completely through what it is that they're so opposed to here. It's kind of a knee jerk reaction. Say, wait a minute, what's this Bitcoin stuff? And why are these guys using all of this energy? Well, look around. There's a lot of stuff that's using energy that any one person could decide is wasteful or not wasteful, depending on your view. Frankly, I don't think this will be limited in the way that I think its opponents would like, simply because it doesn't really make much sense to do that.
1: Yeah. Now, let's talk about one other financial component to that, and it's renewable energy credits. Now, you have said you've partnered up with a lot of, I guess it's merchant generation, right? Just these companies that own a solar farm, a hydroelectric dam, for instance, things like that. Right. The idea is that especially this renewable energy is curtailed. They don't get to sell essentially a corresponding megawatts worth of renewable energy credit. So you're able to unlock that as well?
0: You can. It requires some structuring work to make sure that they're still able to capture that, but there's the RECs, but also things like the investment tax credit, production tax credit. All of these items are things that are critically important to energy companies, right? And the disruption of their production in any way would be a severely limiting factor in their ability to build one of these data centers of the type that I'm describing. You do have to do a little structuring work. It's not that difficult to allow them to keep most of these credits. We have found instances where it doesn't work, and we're pretty upfront and honest and open about that, but a wreck might be worth a few bucks. And so there's certainly cases where you say, you can do this, but you won't keep getting your wreck. And they say, well, I lose out on a few bucks on the wreck, but I gain 70 bucks of value by doing this. So the loss of that wreck is not the end of the world. For some, it is because they've contracted with third-party entities that are paying for that wreck, and they want the wreck, and they need to produce it and sell it to this entity because they promised they would do it. That is a gating factor. That we can't get around. This activity fits in a lot of places. It doesn't fit in every place. Is there a scenario
1: where they wouldn't give you a renewable energy credit, even though you use energy from a solar... Is it because you're Bitcoin mining and, I don't know, powering somebody's home?
0: (laughs) The wreck is generally produced when the power is sold into the grid. If you use up your own power behind the meter for yourself you may not get that wreck. There's a way where they can basically just set up a separate LLC that buys the power from the entity that owns the generation asset, and they're 100% owner of both, but there's technically been a sale from one entity to another entity, and therefore the wreck is still created. It's still green power, right? It's still not pollutive, but it's more of a structuring question. And again, some states that's easier than others, but generally speaking, we have found ways to make
1: it work. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you said you had utility clients, right? Correct. What's been the lowest hanging fruit? It seems to me like it might be a little bit more merchant generation. Also sounding like it might not be an advantage to be behind the meter, but tell me what's been the easiest clients to land
0: Well, the clients, like I said, they range from private equity groups that own large portfolios. Maybe it's a mixture of wind and solar and hydro and nat gas or a utility that has the same scenario. We look through that portfolio and say, well, this will work on this wind asset here, but it won't work on the solar asset over there. Or this hydro asset's a great one. This other hydro asset is not. Like you said, merchant is usually the easiest because if you've already built this asset with a long-term PPA, which is how many of them are constructed, they're financed with tax equity and that revenue. A new stream is locked in, that power sale is locked in for the next 30 years. There's not that much we can do to help because it's not their power anymore. They've sold it to someone else. Whereas a merchant plant is kind of subject to the whims of the marketplace. And when grid prices were high, because Nat Gas was elevated last year, a lot of these guys were sitting back with their heels up on their desks saying, This is great, I'm making a bunch of money. But now Nat Gas is lower again, and therefore grid prices in a lot of these markets have come back down. And they're now back to scratching their heads saying, Wow, I got this stranded merchant asset. I'm getting paid peanuts for my power. What can I do? I think the low hanging fruit question is it really depends on the market. Texas is obviously an easy one. I think there's a huge amount of activity happening in Texas because of the ease of regulatory overlay there, but the asset type does matter. We have a hydro asset in Wisconsin that's got a lot of favorable press. When you think about a hydro asset, you might have a wet season and a dry season. If you build the data center to match your maximum wet season capacity, in the dry season you don't have enough power. So you build the data center to match the dry season maximum and then during the wet season anything over what you're consuming For the Bitcoin mine gets sold into the grid. And of course, if there's a weather event that drives prices higher temporarily, we turn the Bitcoin mine off and now all the electrons are being sold to the grid. It's that flexibility inherent in how you build this and how you size it that makes this particularly attractive. With wind, you know, you have a 500 megawatt wind asset. Sometimes it's producing 500 megawatts. Sometimes it's producing three. But if you build five megawatts or 10 or 20, 90%, 95% of the year, you're going to have plenty of power to run that operation. This isn't meant as a primary taker for an asset it is meant as something that can tuck in around the edges where it's most needed to incrementally benefit these assets solar is a different problem where the sun goes down every day in those cases you can treat yourself like an industrial customer and purchase grid power overnight during the hours when it's economic to do so you don't have to buy all the hours of the evening and the hours when it's expensive overnight power you just turn your bitcoin mine off and you don't operate it each of these generation assets each of these sort of variable intermittent assets has a different kind of profile in how you would think about using these flexible data center loads to benefit them.
1: Andrew, how do you plan to expand? What do you think is next for you guys? Are you going to build your own facilities? Or are you going to be more of a service base?
0: Yeah, we think of ourselves as an asset-like service provider doing this on behalf of the energy sector. And so we can grow as quickly as we can sign contracts with parties that are interested in doing this. Traditional Bitcoin miners, these third-party owners of this stuff, they have to raise equity. They have to go build a site at a time. And they're focused on generally being large Single footprint sites. We think that in the future, this is likely to be smaller sites, much more broadly distributed. And so, I think there's Bitcoin mining operations in Texas today, ERCOT, that are 300, 500 megawatts. Some of them plan for a gigawatt of data center operations, all on the grid. Again, they'll turn themselves off if grid prices ever spike. So they do serve that balancing effect, but. We think that the better opportunity is going behind the meter at these generation assets and setting up smaller data center operations on a more distributed basis. We can build dozens of these sites for dozens of different customers all at the same time, depending on what they want. We think our growth is limited only by the acceptance of the power sector in ramping up their own activity in this space. We're excited about what's coming next. And I think Bitcoin mining was the first type of flexible computing load that fit all of the requirements to go accomplish this energy strategy. It can be turned on and off. It requires relatively little bandwidth as compared to a traditional data center. It doesn't need a super low latency internet connection. It doesn't necessarily need the same type of cooling environment that a traditional data center might need. But I think the bigger picture here is Bitcoin was the first one. Coming along over the next decade is going to be AI computing, batch computing, things called zero-knowledge proofs, which are an interplay with blockchain technology. There's a lot of types of computing that is about to come online over the next decade. Bitcoin mining is not the only game in town. I think each one of these presents a different opportunity for an energy company to say, I'm going to use Bitcoin mining over here on this wind asset, but I'm going to use AI computing over here on this hydro asset. This is really going to be an interesting tool for the energy sector. The data centers are being built to help the generation asset, not the other way around.
1: Very cool. All right, Andrew Weber, Digital Power Optimization. Thank you so much for your time.
0: Jay, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. It was great talking with you.
1: That was Andrew Weber, co-founder and CEO of DPO, a crypto mining as a service company based in New York. I want to thank Andrew and James Perry at VEW Media for setting this up. I also want to thank them and you for giving me some time to get set up in our new home. It's been almost two months since I was able to get an episode out. We moved to Houston, but then didn't get our stuff until several weeks later. Now that I've got a new studio set up down here, I'll be playing catch up over the next few episodes. Meanwhile, you can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com as 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 well as on Instagram at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the wrong completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 168. Be sure to join us next week when we meet one company that is taking a fresh look at oil and gas exploration in the European Union. Until then, I'm Jay Dauenhauer. We'll see you next time.